It's good to see all of you. Today, I'd like to share with you some of the difficulties and pressures we go through life, uh, not necessarily as believers, but as human beings. And from the life of Abraham, I want to share a few things just to show you that all the pressures and difficulties we go through, it's always been here, right from the beginning. As Solomon says, nothing has changed. Everything is the same under the sun. Right after the fall of humanity, Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed and sinned against the Lord, there came about four major divisions into our lives as fallen humanity, as fallen human beings. The first and foremost division came the separation of life of God from Adam and Eve. So for the rest of the human beings. And when you read in chapter 4, talks about Adam when he lived so many years. They gave birth to Seth in their own image and their own likeness. Whereas the Bible does not say that's how God created them. In fact, what the Bible says, as you all know, God said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. But Adam and Eve gave birth in their fallen states, in their own image and likeness. If you ever want to know what life is without God, all you have to do is read the book of Ecclesiastes by King Solomon. I've been speaking about from that book lately more than ever. It's probably one of the depressing books in the Bible because Solomon says everything that we do in life is meaningless. It makes no difference. You're a good person, bad person, evil person. Whatever you achieve or don't achieve, at the end, he says, it's all meaningless. Vanity, he says, is grasping for air. And he comes in from different direction, concluding that this life is meaningless. There's a phrase he uses, under the sun. For him to speak everything under the sun means living on this earth without God. That's what this book is all about living on this earth without God. And that's why towards the end, everything is meaningless. One of the verses I printed to read for you is from the fourth chapter. This is what he says. And I declare that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not been yet, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Another verse was he saying, better is the person who has never been born rather than the living and the dead both together. That's how meaningless the life is without God. And that's what Solomon says in this book. And that's what happened to fallen humanity, separated from the life of God. Second division, which happened right after the fall, is that division between man and woman. I don't know how the relationship of Adam and Eve was before they sinned, I don't know, Bible doesn't say much about it or doesn't say anything about it. But right away after their fall, when God questioned Adam, he said, well, the woman you put here to be with me gave up the tree and I ate. He blamed God, not only God, but the woman for what he did or what he decided to do. So whatever the fundamental differences are between man and woman, all stems up from that day right after their fall. I don't have to go through in details, but you understand what I'm saying. The third major division happened between man and man. The first murder happened in the family of Adam and Eve, between their two sons, Cain and Abel. Why do you think it happened? Because of religious reasons. God accepted Abel's sacrifice. He rejected Cain's. And for that reason, brother rose up against his own brother and killed him. 
And this is the tragedy of our lives in these contemporary days. Still people are killing each other in the name of the God they worship. And that's a big tragedy. Those murders have religious connotation behind them. Just two weeks ago, I read in my iPhone, this guy walked in in the synagogue, killed 11 people and injured 18. Killing each other in the name of God or religion, that's the tragedy. And I'm just showing you that it's been there right after fall. Nothing is new under the sun, as Solomon says. Fourth division that happened after the fall is between man and nature, what you may call today as the problem of ecology. Well, right after the fall, one of the judgments that God spoke to Adam and Eve, more to Adam than Eve, he said, this is Genesis 3.17, he says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Dust you were, and to dust you will return. This judgment on them was much heavier for the people that lived before the flood. They worked very hard, but the ground simply did not yield the produce for them just because of this. Remember, before the flood, they were all vegetarians. They did not eat meat. Eating meat just came about after Noah, and uh, that's where it started. So it was very hard for the people before the flood to get the produce out of the land because it just wouldn't yield to, to their work. And this, the way I look at it, is the reason behind all the hard work that we do today. The simple fact is, if you want to live good, live half enough in your life, you must work hard. Just like God said, in the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. Making a living is difficult. I'm speaking in a general language, general statement. I'm not talking about the exceptions here and there, but looking at the world by itself, how many people don't have enough to eat? And there's always a shortage. Today, more than ever, there's a shortage of water. All of this stemmed up from that curse that God did, all the difficulties that came through in that area. So there's four major divisions right after the fall that is part of our daily pressures and difficulties in our life today. I'm just saying this, that it's been here on earth right from the beginning and nothing has changed and everybody goes through it. But there's a major turning point in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis when you read is when God called Abraham. By calling him, you know, most of you in this church, that his call and our call in the New Testament is identical. Paul beautifully explains in the New Testament that we who live by faith are his children, that is, children of Abraham. And God, knowing this, he said that he preached the gospel to Abraham, that all the blessings will come through even today. Abraham's call not only was for God's sake, because through that call of Abraham, God practically launched his eternal plan back to his track in his plan and purpose. As I said, it's identical with our call in the New Testament. When God called Abraham, he said to him, get out of your country, get out of your household, to a land which I will show you. And one of the important promises that he gave, that through you all the nations will be blessed. So the fulfillment of that is just today. You and I are believers in Christ. And everybody who comes to Christ is through that same covenant. But in chapter 11, this is what it says. 
This is chapter 11, verse 31. You may want to listen. Most of what I will share with you today is of familiar verses. It says, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, and son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. When you come to the chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord hath said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to an end that I will show you. Well, that's the original call. In this place, chapter 12, it starts by saying, Now the Lord had said to Abraham. That means when they were living in Ur of Chaldees is when the call of God was upon Abraham. The way I uh, perceive this is I'm sure he shared it with his family, father and all. And the whole family together decided to come out of the earth of the Chaldeans. Well, they came out, his wife Sarai by that time, Lot, his uncle's son, and the father of Terah was with them. So they came halfway through their journey or to fulfill what the Lord said. And in the city of Haran, they stopped. It took many years that they lived there. Right after Abram's father died, Abram continued his journey, being obedient to do what God said. Going to a land that I will show you. The question is, what was Abraham doing in Haran all these years? Well, the obvious one for me is he was taking care of his aging father. The way I see it, probably they came out of Chaldees, and that whole journey was too much for this elderly man, his father, and they had to stop, and they did. And during all those years, I believe Abraham took care of his father until he died. Over the years, I've heard many messages saying his father was a big obstacle for Abraham. Well, obvious thing is, God said, get out of your country, get out of your father's household to a land that I will show you. So he came halfway, he stopped, so he was kind of disobedient to what God said. But this is part of God's word that God is against, that we should take care of our aging parents. In fact, in the New Testament, there are verses that you think is contrary to this. But Old Testament laws and rules, even one of the commandments was to honor your father and mother. And through that, God says that you will have a long life here on earth. Taking care of your aging parents is part of our life. Some do it with love, some do it because they have to, or some they can't do it or don't do it. But as believers, it's part of our life. In the New Testament, Jesus called many to follow him. There's a group of them that they brought some excuses. One of them said, let me bury my father, then I will come and follow you. What he said is not that his father was dead and he had to go through the funeral preparations, but rather what he was saying, let me take care of my parents, or let me take care of my uh, father. After his death, I will follow you. Following the Lord has absolutely nothing to do whether you take care of your parents or not. When does that come into the picture of becoming an obstacle for anybody? For me, the question is always your priority. Just like what Jesus said in Matthew, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, everything else will be added on to you freely. I'm just thinking about all the messages I heard about that years that Abraham stayed in the Haran. That's how Hebrews say it. Haran, the city. 
it was a, such a downfall for him to disobey. But the fact of the matter is, it's part of our life, and there's nothing that God wants us to do besides that. As I said, taking care of our aging parents has absolutely nothing to do our following the Lord or whatnot. Right from the beginning, when you read chapter 12 of the book of Genesis, you will read this first call of Abraham. And in the narration, it also says that Sarai, his wife, was barren. Here's a second difficulty or pressure upon any couple, even to this day. Remember, I'm just sharing to show you nothing has changed as far as the pressures and difficulties that we all go through in life. And this is Abraham's life. It was a pressure for Abraham more than probably for Sarai because later on when God promised them that he will give them a child of their own, but speeding up the God's promise, they end up having a surrogate mother, which that's where the story of Hagar came along. Same things happening today. Same difficulties with some couples here and there that they can't have children. And that's how it is. Same difficulties. And today's medical science and technology, they can help more than ever. The third thing that happened as finally when Abraham came to the land of Canaan, soon as he got there, there was a severe famine in the land. You know, when you're early years in your Christian life, you may have a different idea of how God should work and whatnot. But if you have some years in the Lord, have some experiences, you begin to understand the process. Initially, we would say it took all these years to get to the land of Canaan, but how come when he got to the land, there was a severe famine that Abraham was forced to go to Egypt for having something to eat? Here's another problem we have today. There's always famine in different parts of the world, and it's always been. Nothing has changed in that direction. And how it relates to us in the Western world that we live in, if I want to relate to it, is just simply not having enough in our lives, not being able to pay your bills at the end of the month. All the difficulties, unemployment is, falls in the same category. All of these pressures have not changed. And this is part of our life. If Abraham went to Egypt, how many of us go far for work? I mean, I've done it. You know, at one time I was round tripping from home to work to school 120 miles a day. That's a lot of miles that takes your energy and time during the day. We've done it. We understand it. For employment, we go miles away to work. All of this that I'm saying is the same difficulties and pressures that existed even back then. If you go further in the life of Abraham, there comes a time that both of them, Abraham and Lot, became rich. Both of them had many livestock. To a point around before them could not contain both of them. So there was quarrel among the shepherds of both. Finally, Abraham said to Lot, listen, there should not be any quarrels between us. Let's separate. Whichever direction you go, I will go to the opposite direction. Well, you know the story. Lot looked up the plains of Jordan towards Sodom, lush green grass, and he picked that one. Two choices, really. Either the lush green grass towards Sodom or the desert the other way. Lot went towards Sodom. That's the land he chose for his livestock. At this point, we begin to see that Abraham grew in his faith. Just the fact that he would say a statement like this 
By now he knew that God of heaven was behind him and he was the source of all his blessings. And to say a statement like this and the choices he had clearly tells me that he knew he was not afraid. And in fact, right after this, immediately God said, Abram, just look everywhere you look, northward, southward, eastward, westward. Wherever you go, wherever your foot hits the ground, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Makes no difference what direction you will go. The green grass of, towards Sodom or towards the desert, I am with you. That's how God approached Abraham. So by this, Abraham grew in his faith. On the other hand, when I look at Lot, I always think of him as a believer who doesn't follow the Lord, but follows another believer. That's a disaster. You follow any other person, it's a disaster. Follow the Lord is what the Lord said. Come, follow me, not anybody else. As long as Lot was with Abraham, everything was good. By association, as Abraham was walking by faith, doing things by faith, you know, he got some blessings all along. But once he took his own direction, past that point, mistakes after mistakes in Lot's life, all the way to the end. What a disaster. All the way to the end of his life, he went the wrong direction. Contrary to Abraham, he lived by faith, walked by faith, and he faced every pressure and problem by faith. Years later, when you come to the point, five kings of land of Canaan, they decided they got together and attacked kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. During this war, king of Sodom was captured along with Lot and his family. Again, you know the story. Abraham heard all this. He took 318 of his household servants and went after those five kings. He defeated them. Uh, victoriously, triumphantly, he came back. And then King of Sodom, who was released from this captivity along with Lot and his family, they came to greet him. And this is what King of Sodom offered to Abraham. He said, take the spoil of the battle. It's yours. You were the victor. Take as much as you want for you and for your men. But this is what Abram said. In Genesis 14, he says, But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that you will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. In other words, I won't take anything, not even a shoelace, lest you say that you make me rich. This is a statement of faith. I mean, every time I read this, I get excited for what Abraham said. I have raised my hand to the God Most High. He knows all his blessings, his life. Everything is from the Lord himself, from God of heaven and earth. Having said that, you see that he's walking by what he believes in. The whole thing that happened, going to war with 318 of his servants. These are not soldiers. These are household servants. But he knew that the Lord gave him the victory and all, and he was high in his spiritual life. He was walking in clouds the way I see it. Right after this incident, Melchizedek comes in, who is a type of Christ in the Old Testament, eternal Christ, Son of God in the Old Testament, and he blesses Abraham, and they have fellowship together. Uh, Abraham is just high in his spiritual life. 
if you've ever been in conditions like this, of course, to the measure of faith given to us, you know how exciting all that is. You know you're trusting God. You know God is blessing you. You know kind you and all. It's a very exciting time, spiritually saying. This is what we read in chapter 14. But right after this, when you come to chapter 15, this is what it says. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. This is the first time I noticed this. After this high spiritual experience, Abraham is very high above the clouds, spiritually speaking, in deeds, in action, in statements, in words, everything on the cue, as far as a spiritual person should be. And after all this, and meeting Melchizedek that he blessed him, here the Lord says, do not be afraid, Abram. My question is, why was he afraid? He just came back after a triumphant war. Why was he afraid? I know he was afraid because God said so. He said, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And I'm thinking, what would be the reason Abraham at this point would be afraid? You know, I can go different direction. Again, if you've been in the Lord for many years, you know, going through an experience such as this, just as Abraham did, high, solid, walking by faith and all, knowing all the blessings that is from the Lord. Yet after this heroic dust settles, after a few days, you begin to have doubts. Did I do the right thing? Did I say the right thing? What if this happened or what if that happened? And if you succumb to those thoughts in that way, eventually you will go into fear. But I'm not looking at uh, Abraham like this. That happens all the time. You know, you have second thoughts or uh, doubts going through an experience, a high experience such as this. Assuming that he was a spiritual, intelligent person. By that, I simply mean he was growing in the Lord. Not just because I'm a believer, but he's growing. He knows he says, I know that knowing comes from within. If he was a spiritually a person like that, intelligent, you have to come to a point in your life when you realize how big the Lord is. The God who created the heavens and the earth, created this universe. Every time I think of the universe, I just go into pieces in my thoughts how big this thing is. And the creator of all has saved me and he's dealing with me and nobody. I mean, that's an enormous thought that comes once in a while. And you've got to come to this point and say, what have I come into? Beginning to realize how big the Lord is and all that he has done. And with it comes this fear. I call it a wholesome fear, not just any other fear, but a wholesome fear. That's the biblical term have the fear of the Lord in that way. Knowing all this, you have that respect and the fear of God who saved you. Or I can go a different direction, you know, going through an experience, a victorious, triumphant experience such as this, may get into head of someone, and at the end they say, oh, it was me, it was my intelligence, or it was my doing this and that. Example I can give you is Nebuchadnezzar. 
Even though Daniel told him, the God of heaven blessed you with the kingdom that he has given you, but one day coming out of his room into the balcony, looked at his kingdom, he says, is this the kingdom I made with my hands? Immediately, he became like an animal. Hair grew from everywhere, and he was driven into the woods, and he grazed like an animal for a number of years. I always thought, what a difficult judgment on this person. Why animal? What happened that he went something like that? Because a character like this is a beastly character. What he was by himself is a beastly character. What God did to him is just changed his physical appearance to be exactly the way he was within, thinking that this is him doing all this. But later on, we read that he came to his senses, he looked up, from the time he became like that, his head was down, just like animals that they graze. But he lifted up his head, and he was restored to his kingdom. So two wild directions he can go. But Abraham was not like that. I'm saying he was a spiritual, intelligent person. Do not fear, Abraham. I'm your shield, and your exceeding great reward. Past this point from his life, you go all the way to the final test, when God says, Take Isaac, your son whom you love, the only son, and offer him on the altar as a burnt offering. And I tell you, every time I read that story, I read it as if Abraham was doing a routine obeying the Lord. Bible says, without any explanations, he says he got up in the morning, saddled his animals, took Isaac, took three of his servants, and headed to a place that God says, I will show you where you will offer him as a burnt offering. All the way to the point that he was about to kill Isaac. It's like a routine. It's like he did it several times. You know, every time he killed Isaac, God raised him up. By this time, he knew God is going to raise him anyway. But that's not what happened. This is the first experience he's got. But spiritually, he was there. He grew in the Lord so much that he was there. And the New Testament clearly tells us that he believed God, that if he would have slain Isaac, God had to raise Isaac from the dead because every promise given to Abraham was through Isaac that he would be fulfilled. If Isaac stayed dead, then all the promises of God would be nullified and nothing was true about what God promised. That's how much this man believed in God that called him from where he lived in Ur of the Chaldees. His life and our life is identical. When God called him, he equipped him with all this. When God called us, he gave us his life in us. Besides the fact that we have eternal life, besides the fact all the promises in that direction, but more of him in you is the way to counterattack all the pressures and difficulties of our life here. His life in us must grow. As a believer, you cannot let go of your spiritual life and not allow it to grow. Your life, God's life in you, must grow. And the more you grow is the path that Abraham took. You cannot haphazardly live like any other person who does not know the Lord. As a believer, you have to follow him by faith. Take the steps of faith. Say things by faith. And walk by faith and not by sight. That's our portion in life as believers in Christ. You must move just like Abraham did, speak like the way he did. 
You know, being a believer like this changes your vocabulary, changes what you say. If Abraham says, I have raised my hand to the God most high, that I will not take not even a shoelace from you, lest you say you made me rich, that's exciting. That's what he believed, that's how he acted, and that's how he lived most of his life in that direction. In closing, I want to share this thing with you. Months ago when I was here last, I spoke, it's been a while, I spoke from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. In it, just for your reminder, Solomon says, remember the Lord in your youth before the difficult days that will come. And the difficult days, I explained, is the aging process as we go through in difficult days. You know, hearing loss, eyesight, losing teeth, and all that, the way I explained it. That's not what I'm speaking today. But I have a habit of reading the entire book when I speak. If I'm speaking, let's say, from Romans, I would like to read the whole Romans before I come. So I read Ecclesiastes during that time. There's this one particular portion that stayed with me all this time, and that's what I want to read for you. It's from Ecclesiastes 3. I will read it for you. He says, He has made everything beautiful in his time. He's talking about God. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Verse 14, he says, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken from it. In short, he's saying nobody knows what God is doing. And in this latter portion, verse 14, he said, I know that whatever he does, he does it forever. That means anything that we go through in life, he says nobody knows what God is doing. That is true most of the time. I also believe that God informs his own what is coming. But in general, he says, nobody knows what God is doing. But whatever he's doing, he's working through your eternity, to secure your eternity. Over this time, I was thinking about this, and somehow I put together what Paul says in the New Testament. This is just from Thessalonians. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything give thanks, he says. Unless you and I believe that whatever God is doing, that nobody knows, that he's working towards to secure your eternity, it is then you can thank him for everything. Not everything happens as a good experience. Paul doesn't say give thanks to him for every good thing that happens. No, he says in everything give thanks. And there's many other verses in the New Testament like that. Unless you and I believe that what he's doing in my life and your life will be eternal, it'll be forever. Yes, you and I may question why I have to go through this and why I have to go through that, why this happened or that happened. You've got to believe that he's working to secure your eternity to come. Otherwise, you and I cannot say thanks in everything that goes through in our lives. That's how strong these verses are when you put together even two verses, looking into the whole Bible together. Today we have communion. 
And even in today's message, I saw a new way, the meaning of the communion. Again, from Abraham's experience, when Melchizedek came to meet him, blessed him, came with wine and bread, they had communion. Here's the Lord, a type of the Lord in the Old Testament. He had communion in that level. Here's the new way that I'm seeing coming to the table of the Lord. It's the life of Abraham shows that you need to live that way, live by faith and walk by faith, and do things in life by faith. Otherwise, you will never be pleasing to the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. And in that direction, he had a communion with the Lord. What a blessing. What a blessing to be part of that union. When we take the elements, the wine and the bread, as the elements that ties us together, united with the Lord himself. The bread and wine, they're just elements. They're the symbolic of what it represents, his blood and his body. So today when you come be part of the table, just think what I've shared with you. If you come as a believer, if you live by faith, growing like Abraham did, communion becomes a blessing, much more than we usually think and understand. But if that doesn't happen, even the communion, the bread and the wine, it becomes a thing to do. It becomes a Christian thing to do. That is, if you're not living by faith, facing your difficulties and pressures by faith, head on in that direction, then this is just another thing to do as a Christian, nothing more or less. It becomes a routine thing to do. But if you live in the way of how Abraham lived, after all, he's the father of our faith. It becomes more valuable in a higher level than ever. Amen? May the Lord bless you and multiply his words in your heart that together we can grow into him as children of Abraham who believed God contrary to everything he saw. Amen? At this point, I will ask the ushers to direct you to come and take the elements. When we all have it, we can take it together. Part of what I shared today is simply this. Do not solve or try to solve your pressures and difficulties as people who don't know God do all the time. Go by faith just like Abraham. You need the word of God in you more abundantly as ever. He can guide you. Any child of God taking a step forward by faith, God is always with him. The word is there to encourage you and the Holy Spirit guide you all the way. But the thing is, you have to do it. You take the first step. If you haven't been doing it, start again as a child of God. There's so many history in my own. There was periods that I went down, couldn't even read the word, this, that. But here we are, where you see yourself, you can pick up wherever you are and follow the Lord. The main thing is, he said, follow me. Don't follow anybody else. There's no such thing in the Bible. Follow the Lord. As often as you do it, remember me. Today we remember him, just like Abraham, as Melchizedek came in, high in the spirit, had the communion together. Even if that was not enough, the Lord came, he says, do not be afraid. I am your shield and exceedingly great reward. Amen? Let's take it together. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday.